Our study today out of the book of 2 Kings, chapter 21, and 2 Chronicles 33, regarding King Ammon and King Josiah, kings of Judah, where they fall on, on this chart. Uh, they are down here, part of Judah. By this time, the northern kings in northern Israel has been taken captive by the Assyrians and are dispersed and are no more. Um, become known as the Ten Lost Tribes of Israel. We'll come back to that a little bit in the message itself. And they're right after Manasseh. Manasseh who reigned, I think it was 55 years, most of that a wicked reign. But right at the end of his life, he turns, he's taken captive by the Assyrians. He gives his life to the Lord. They set him free, he goes back to Jerusalem. And, uh, and then that's where we pick up our story. So this is from the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, uh, down the southern tribes, the lineage from King David. So, so starting out of 2 Chronicles chapter 33, Manasseh rested with his fathers, and they buried him in his own house, and then his son Amnon reigned in his place. Amnon was 22 years old when he became king. He reigned two years in Jerusalem, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, as his father Manasseh had done, for Amnon sacrificed all the carved images with his which his father Manasseh had made and served them. So at 22 years old, he was old enough to see what had happened in his father's life. He was able to see the transformation that took place, how he had been worshiping these uh, false gods and false idols. And, and then after his experience of being taken captive, dragged to Assyria with a, by hooks, uh, that he surrendered, and, and uh, such a change, change in his life comes when he comes back. He goes throughout all Judea and all Jerusalem, getting rid of all the idols that he had built and destroying them and, uh, and starting a reformation in the land. And yet Amnon becomes king after his dad dies, and he doesn't take the lesson, and he continues in the wicked ways that he was raised with and didn't take heed to the change that had taken place in his father's life. Sad. But often how the children are raised is how they continue. And again, we're all born with a sinful carnal heart. We're all born with a tendency towards evil. It's easier for us to resist God, to hate God, to reject God. And so, again, if, 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 if you don't have a natural longing for God, a natural desire for worship, a natural desire to sing his praises, if it just doesn't flow out of you, just, just out of the abundance of the heart, well, then you're just born normal, that's all. You're just normal. Uh, but normal is not good. <laughs> normal is evil, normal is wicked, and normal is enmity, hatred against God. I think society has lost sight of that. And they think that people are born basically good. Well, it's just the opposite. People are born basically, not only basically, totally wicked. And if it wasn't for God, with uh, God's hand in each one of our lives, we would all be just absolutely, totally corrupt. And so God's sustaining power in each one of us draws each one of us and convicts each person. And, uh, and then as we surrender to that drawing, as we surrender to that love, he works to change in our hearts, just like he did with Manasseh. Manasseh, when he was wicked, shed much innocent blood in the land, was killing people. We'd all be that wicked, worshiping all kinds of things and demanding it and, and forcing it upon others and, and destroying other people's lives. And so he's transformed. His son sees that, but he's still going by what he was trained and how his nature was. 
And so it just shows, again, everyone has a choice to make on their own. And Amnon, unfortunately, made the wrong choice. He reigns two years, doing evil in the sight of the Lord. He walked in all the ways that his father had walked, and he served the idols that his father had served and worshipped them. He forsook the Lord, God of his fathers, and did not walk in the way of the Lord. Verse 23, he did not humble himself before the Lord as his father Manasseh had humbled himself, but Amnon trespassed more and more. Sad testimony. The servants of Amnon conspired against him and killed the king in his own house. So these people had seen, oh no, he had Manasseh for 55 years and a horrible reign under him. We don't want that to happen under Amnon. We see Amnon's going the wrong direction. He's already set the path and he's trying to bring people back towards destruction. And they say, no way. And so they conspire and they go and kill the king. His servants kill him in his own house after just two years. And we've seen as we went through all those kings, almost all of them that were wicked reigned a very short time. I don't think any of them other than Manasseh reigns more than 20 years. But most of the good kings reign more than 20 years. So he only reigns two. And judgment comes down upon him. His own servants kill him. But the people of the land executed all those who had conspired against King Amnon. The people of the land made his son, Josiah, king in his place. This is interesting. So was it that the people were wanting, were, were upset that Amnon was king, that the people wanted uh, to worship the wrong, uh, wrong idols, and they were upset at these servants for killing the one who was now leading, leading a rebellion against God again? I don't think so. They put Josiah, the king, in his place, and we're going to see about Josiah. So then why did they execute those who killed the king? Why did they execute those who conspired against him and killed him in cold blood in his own house? Because even though Amnon was wicked, following a wicked way, started at 22, now just 24, could live a long time, reign under wickedness for a long time. They didn't want that to happen. They conspire, they kill him, but it's still wrong. It was still wrong. Murder is murder. God had allowed him to come to the time at that place and time, and maybe God was going to do something. Maybe it was going to take 50 years before he gives his heart to the Lord. Uh, like, uh, we don't know how long it took for his father, but it seems that it was the end of his, towards the end of his life. But God knows. And it's not our part to cut short the work that God is trying to do in someone else's life. And so the people, they wanted still there to be laws. They wanted there still to be uh, a semblance of, of uh, more than just a semblance, a, a, a balance in the land, justice in the land. And so they enact justice on those who went outside the boundaries of the law of the land and of God's law. And they execute the killers because that's what they were. And so that's a good thing, I think. And they, put, and they picked Josiah to be king in his place. Now, the rest of the acts of Amnon, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And he was buried in the tombs in the garden of Uzziah. 
Then Josiah his son reigned in his place. That's out of 2 Kings 21. Now back to 2 Chronicles 36. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. That's a long time. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or the left. So 31 good years on the straight path, following the way of the Lord, God blesses him. God brings him to pass. So now he's eight years old when he becomes king. So that means his father, who became, uh, who died at 24, that he had Josiah when he was 16 years old. Now Josiah is king at just eight years old. Could you imagine eight years old? Just an eight-year-old king person, a child becoming a king, right? We have some kids here about that age. Eight years old. One who just turned eight today. King over the country. Sometimes it feels like we've had people <laughs> reigning over countries that, uh, that may only seem to be thinking on an eighth-year-old eighth level, maybe. <laughs> but he becomes king. Not the first one that's young like this, but he does what's right in the sight of the Lord. So you had some people guiding and directing him. His mother's mentioned in the Second Chronicle uh, account. Maybe she was good and followed the Lord, trained him right, helped guide him. So the people pick him, and he does what's right. In the eighth year of his reign, so now he's 16, while he's still young, he began to seek the Lord God of his father, David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molten images. He begins to clean the land of what the people still held on to after his grandfather Manasseh tried to eliminate the land from so much of it. He goes and continues that work. And again, then his father, Amnon, allowed it again and started to cultivate it again. And then uh, 12 years of it still going on in various parts of the country. He's now old enough, 16 and now 20 years old. And he begins to purge the land. He starts to enact some laws to purify the people so that their minds are not distracted by the idols and the things of this world. And they broke down the altars of the Baals in his presence and the incense altars which were above them and he cut them down. And the wooden images and the carved images and the molded images he broke in pieces and made dust of them and scattered it on the graves of those who sacrificed to them. So he's following the Lord. He had to make a choice himself. Made king at eight years old. But along the way, he had to make that choice. And at 16, he made that choice. The Lord is going to be my God. He accepted the sacrifices, the lambs, representing the Messiah to come. He accepted their deaths in behalf of his death. He accepted the removal of his carnal traits and evil desires. And he chose to follow the Lord God. 
choice that each one of us need to make. Begins purging it out of his life, allowing sins, confessing sins, and allowing God to remove them out of his life, and begins purging the land, and breaking down the altars, going through the land, getting rid of things that are in the land that don't belong there. Now, we may not be in a position to go through the land and purge things. We may not be a king or a governor or a mayor. But we can begin purging in our own homes things that shouldn't be there. I remember I was in a lady's home and, and uh, we were praying together. There was another person with us and we were praying together and, and uh, Lord, just bring to anything in our hearts and minds that shouldn't be there. Anything that you want to cleanse us of, anything you want to convict us of, remove it from us. And after prayer, she said, are you saying I need to get rid of that thing? I didn't say anything. <laughs> I don't know, who she, you know, I don't know what she heard. But she didn't hear it from my voice. She was hearing from God. And she blamed it on me. And she didn't want to get rid of what God impressed her mind and heart about. But we need to start in our own homes. We don't have to worry about someone else coming and saying, get rid of this or get rid of that. We can pray and read the word of God. Lord, what is in my house? What is in my heart? Start with the attitudes and motives in the heart. But then, Lord, what else is in my life? What is in my house? What is in my car? A lot of people don't know what these, some wicked things are. They see some trinket sold at a store, and they don't know what's attached to it. They don't realize the evil things that associated with some of the stuff that's out there and for sale. I think, oh, it's just some cultural thing of some other culture and looks pretty or it looks nice or it hangs well. And they put it in their home. But then maybe it revealed to them. God speaks to their heart. And we shouldn't be harboring or allowing anything into our home. that God wouldn't approve of, or that's associated with some other wickedness or, or wicked actions or wicked deeds or wicked um, groups or other gods or other foreign things that are outside the Bible, that aren't from the Bible. Things that maybe other groups pray to and do things to. Oh, you may not, that person may not, it's just a nice thing, I just got it as a gift. Yeah. That could be a totem pole, a pretty thing, you know. But somewhere, someone down the line is worshiping that thing or praying to that thing. Purge the house. Purge our lives. Maybe there's some activities that we do that needs to be purged out of our lives. Maybe something on our television or on our computer that we've gotten accustomed to viewing and going to. We need to begin by purging them. Purge some of those pages out of our our favorite sections. Maybe there's some people in our Facebook or whatever type stuff, and they like to post, you know, stuff, whatever you put in. Person might be a friend, relative. If they're posting stuff that your eyes shouldn't be seeing, that your mind shouldn't be thinking about, I want to pray and consider purging that from 
your computer, from your home, from your life, from your eyes, from your mind, from your heart. Cleanse the land. Cleanse the life. Verse 30, chapter 36, verse 5 from 2 Chronicles. He also burned the bones of the priests on the altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. He did so in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphili, and all around with axes. So even the priests that were doing wicked stuff, the Kohanim, the Levites that were doing wicked things, they had their bones burned on the altars. A symbol of cleansing the land of the wickedness that was taking place, that they had done. They no, long, no doubt brought the wickedness and the Baal worship into the temple itself. And he had it removed and cleansed. Begins purging the land. Now again, you might not be a president or a king or a ruler over something. We're rulers over ourselves, and we are also rulers over our own homes. And we do have authority over the people that we allow to live in our homes as well. So he begins cleansing Judah and Jerusalem, and then this is very interesting. He did so also in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, and as far as Naphili and all around. Now that is very, very interesting. Because each one of those areas are the tribes of the northern kingdoms of Israel. And so he leaves Judah, Judah and Benjamin and the Levites, he leaves that area and he goes with his men that are with him. And he begins purging the area that the Assyrians have come in and have taken over, where the Assyrians had taken the, the Israelites captive and removed most of them, and brought other people in, and he goes up there and he begins purging that land as well. He's claiming that territory as well. A part of original Israel under David and Solomon, he's claiming that territory as his as well, and he begins purging the land up there. And there was no resistance. And we need to spread out and allow what God's doing in our lives to touch other people's lives and help them as well, to teach them as well. Teach them the word of God as well. So they can be cleansed spiritually and physically and emotionally and mentally of the negative thoughts of the unbiblical foods, so-called foods, that aren't foods according to God. Living and teaching and sharing with those around us. So it begins with ourselves, began with Josiah. Began in his home and in his, the temple in Jerusalem and in his city and in Judea. and then to others around as well. And the same with us. It needs to begin in our home. It needs to begin in our heart. It needs to begin in our life. Allow God to work his cleansing and his purging and his changing and his transforming. And then to the things in our home, 
influencing the people that then live in our home as well. Then educating and teaching the people in our congregation, ministering to each other, blessing each other, helping each other, not in a condemning way, but an uplifting way, in a loving way. And the way that we know we're loving is if we would be willing to trade our place in heaven for them. If that's what it took for them to be in heaven. As Moses was willing to say, oh Lord, if you can't forgive them, blot my name out. As Daniel prayed, Lord, forgive us. And corporately, as Paul prayed, let me be accursed for them. As Yeshua actually did. Until we're willing to trade our, give up our place in heaven, give up our mansion in heaven, give up our seat in heaven, have our name blotted out so that their name could be put in. Then we're not ready to teach anyone or tell anyone. But that type of love God can do for us. That's the love of God. That's the love that Yeshua manifested towards us. And again, that's the love of God that he placed in other people. Moses wasn't born naturally that way. Paul wasn't born naturally that way. We see how Paul tried to do it when he did it in his own strength. He wouldn't kill people. But then when he surrendered all to God, he went and ministered to people. That doesn't mean he just let them sin and say it's okay because he didn't want to offend anyone we read his words sometimes very strong but we see also the love of god there how he loved the people he ministered to willing to do every, anything so that they could be in heaven and that's the right balance that we need to have in our lives Right, there's commercials out, right? Uh, real friends don't let friends drive drunk, something like that, right? Real friends don't let friends sin. Real friends warn their friends of the path that they're going on. But we again first need to start with ourselves, allow God to purge ourselves of the of the condemning attitude, of the judgmental attitude, of the selfishness and the pride in any wicked way that's in us and continue to transform us until again we have that love for them that God has for them. And then we can minister to them and purge the land, purge our home, and then spread out and allow God to use us even as far as Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, Naphili, and all around. That's what God's looking for, people that will love and yet warn. Right now, I think the world has, has professed people of God like tied up. We're fearful of saying anything because we'll be called haters or phobia of this group or that group. Or condemners or hatred or bigots because we take a stand because we take a stand regarding truth and wrong right and wrong truth and error 
There is a way to heaven. There is a path to heaven. The Bible said regarding Josiah, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. So if it was right for Josiah to go through and cleanse the land and, with an ax and break down all the idols, would it be wrong for us to warn people? That certain ways of living is wrong according to the word of God? There is right and there is wrong. But society wants to say, think, well, hey, everything's good. There's lots of paths to heaven. Everyone's going there. It doesn't matter which way they go. It does matter which way we go. And if we really love them, we'll warn them. Verse 7, and when he had broken down the altars and the wooden images, he had beaten the carved images into powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel, he returned to Jerusalem. So throughout all the land of Israel, he spread through the land. God calls us to go to all the world. The Messiah will not come again until we've gone to all the world and taught and warned all the world. How can we warn the world when we're just like them? How can we warn the world when we haven't allowed God to purge us, to convict us, to change us? The Bible calls God's people a peculiar people different from the world around us because we live according to the word of God because God has taken away out of our the heart out of us that loves sin that continues in sin that resists God that hates God that hates his word that desires to do wrong he's changed us and he's put us on a totally different path the path of the just, the path of the right, the path of the righteous is totally different than the path of the world. We listen to different things. We tell different jokes. We have different types of fun. We live differently. But today, I think it's hard to tell one from the other. We've just all assimilated into the culture wherever we're at. And Satan has just lulled us to sleep with a false sense of security. That God is just so merciful that just everybody gets a pass and goes to heaven. Now God does love us so much and God is so powerful that he has provided the sacrifice already for us and has paid the price already for us so that everyone and anyone whosoever wants it and desires it and takes hold of it can have heaven. It's there for us. But there are conditions for it, just like there are conditions for every, anything else. Membership in everything else. You could try and say, shop at Sam's Club or Costco or something. You have to, you know, there, there are conditions. I have a friend. Uh, 
She's a, what they call a hog. Uh, Harley owners group. There's conditions. You gotta own a Harley. <laughs> you know, you gotta, there are conditions to be part of that group. There's conditions to receiving the kingdom of heaven. And the condition is, is to receive God into our hearts. And when he truly comes in, he purges everything else out. God's a jealous God. He won't live inside a house, inside a heart, and share it with the devil. The devil in the evil ways has to go. And God comes in and God cleanses the house. And that's what made the difference between Josiah and his father Amnon. That's what made the difference between Manasseh in the beginning of his life and Manasseh at the end of his life. And there'll only be two groups on this earth when Yeshua returns. Those that have surrendered their lives to God and allowed him to transform him, them by his grace, by his power, by his might. And those who've said no. Which side do we want to be on? As we begin studying the life of Josiah, you see, he was called for such a time as he was. 31 years doing right in the sight of the Lord. May that be said about us. Wouldn't that be great to have on your tombstone? He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And it'd be right, wonderful to have that written in heaven. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. When our name comes up in judgment, and God looks upon our name, does it say, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of his life? That's what God calls us to do. And that's what God has invited us to do. And that's what God has provided for us to be able to do. He draws us with his love by first loving us, by coming to us and providing a sacrifice for us. So as we pray together, let's open up our hearts and minds and let God show us what area needs to be purged out of our lives. Where does God want to start? Now, it might be totally different than what your neighbor or your mother or your father or your spouse or you know, someone else says needs to be removed out of your life. They may only be seeing what's outwardly. God might want to work much deeper than that. Let us pray and let God show what he wants to remove from us. And then he's such a wonderful physician. He comes in, cuts it out, removes it out, sets us free. And then heals it, patches it over, makes us better than new. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, we are thankful that you love us with an everlasting love. We're thankful that you've given us examples in your word of what it means to follow you and to not follow you. We're thankful that in spite of our natural tendency to resist you and to push you away, that you're able to override that, that you've given your son to die in our place, that you've traded places with us. You who knew no sin became sin became me so that we who knew no righteousness 
we call the righteousness of God in you. Thank you for trading places with us. We want to accept that trade right now. We want to trade in that carnal heart, and we want to receive your heart and your mind, a mind that loves you, a mind that loves your word, a mind that loves following you, a mind and a heart that loves obeying you, loves your truth, loves living your peculiar way. Come into us and live in us and out of us. Through your Holy Spirit, totally transform our minds and hearts, our desires, our motives, our actions. Live in us and out of us, through us. For your honor, for your glory, and for our joy. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.